0: Hello and welcome to I Fell Over, a podcast about engineering, creativity and practical philosophy with me, your host, Oliver Broadbent. This week on the show, I have Sophie Thomas, who describes herself as a mix of campaigner, practicing designer and chartered waste manager. Sophie is founding director of communications design agency, Thomas Matthews, and is a trustee of the Useful Simple Trust, where we used to work together. I invited Sophie on the show to talk about waste and circular design and we get into the engineering of linear and circular products, material selection, creative strategies for circular designers and in particular the idea that waste is a design flaw and the practical philosophy of someone who has spent so long thinking about waste. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Sophie Thomas. Sophie welcome to the show. Hi. So for the listeners out there we are in the studio at the Useful Simple Trust where uh, Sophie and I used to be uh, colleagues and uh, the studios well how would you describe the studio space?
1: Well we're actually in the workshop aren't we so yeah, sorry,
0: workshop. Yeah. we're yeah.
1: in the workshop of the studio space which is surrounded by all of the tools and bits of sellotape and actually behind us we have the Great Recovery Rematerialised Library, which is all of the materials of end-of-life that we were playing with and researching things.
0: So let's let's talk about, let's make sure we talk about Great Recovery, I'd really like to if
1: that's
0: yeah, all right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are, so, um, we are in the middle of an organisation which is a, a collection of, sort of engineers, architects, designers, mm-hmm. um, Communicator. communicators, and
1: sustainability people. Sustainability
0: people, and those obviously aren't mutually exclusive, there's great overlap. So lots mm-hmm. of people do all those different things. What role does the workshop play in the heart of this organisation?
1: Well, this is supposed to be the kind of come and test it and muck about and cut and paint room. So for me, this is the kind of playroom yeah. for all the work and uh, don't see a lot of use, actually should see more use.
0: It's quite difficult, isn't it, to... I mean, I certainly I guess if you're coming from a kind of engineering, one of the things that I've come across with working with engineers, civil engineers, unlike mm. product designers, it's quite difficult for civil engineers to prototype their work, because yeah. it's like, oh, it's, it's a motorway. It's
1: oh. enormous, <laughs> yeah. Or infrastructure, yeah. How do we how do we prototype a, a kind of whole uh, waste system for a flat or, you know, for a block of, block of housing? Um, it's true and actually the same with a lot of designs stu- lot of designers I think it's quite you know, we had big plans for this room.
0: Mm-mm. I should just, before you carry on, explain that there's a very loud noise. That's that's a, a trolley of plates going past. It's a little bit like the scene in Mary Poppins uh, where, the, uh, where, where, where the where the um, <laughs> cannon goes off. Also. So, <laughs> listeners, you know, as you know, regular listeners, I like to bring you into the room to explain yes. what, what's going on. We don't do this in the sound booth, and that's the reality. No,
1: and it is. Yeah, exactly, exactly the reality of it. So we that's were sorry, just. Sorry, you off. Yeah. No, and I think that it's very easy for designers to s- get stuck in front of their computers mm. and actually not come into this room but I, but in fact actually I would say this is the most interesting room at the Trust and yep. this is the one where if I had my choice of where I could sit and my day-to-day desk it would be in here yeah
0: maybe if it had some windows
1: maybe and also people just tidied it up a bit more There's <laughs> bits so of carpet samples and half a, a shoe and all sorts, tape, lots of rubber bands lying around.
0: In fact, once I think we had a band practice in here.
1: We did have band practice in <laughs> here, yeah. It's good. quite good for the acoustics, I
0: think. Exactly, so lots to talk about. Um, one of the things you've mentioned already is the great recovery. Yes. So could you give a little bit of a background on what that is?
1: So, well, going back a little bit before then, um, my background is very much around, although I'm a communication designer and trained Little college in, in that, um, and run a communication design studio. Uh, a lot of the work I did was around sustainability because it's one of the big um, foundation rocks of our, of our studio. So um, we ended up talking a lot to other designers within the industry about how uh, they can do it. So yeah. the practical side of sustainability, as well as the principles, yeah. You know, how do you, how do you balance the two? How do you get clients to understand it? Yeah. How do you sell it in? Yeah. How do you then physically produce it within within the pieces of work. And following on from all that industry focused sort of teaching pieces that we started to develop, uh, we then shifted into this kind of ideas around resource efficiency and then what's now called circular economy design. And, you know, it's kind of a phrase that's now, heard most people kind of understand it who work in the design
0: industry. So it started for you with a, with a concern around sustainability and design and, yeah. and that's the, the space that you've moved into. Yes yeah. and
1: actually you know when circular economy was first started to be talked about it was very much talked about from a design uh, in business perspective mm-hmm. whereas and it kind of moved away from the green, fluffy, green perspective of environmentalism. But actually, the two of them have come together, particularly around things like the new IPCC report and the IPBES report. You know, the, um, well, sorry, the biodiversity report mm-hmm. and the climate change report that yeah. came out together. So those two have really pulled together... The thoughts around environmentalism, climate change, circular economy. So it's all coming together um, with this kind of urgency that we need to, you know, we need to sort of, we have 12 years basically to stop this runaway temperature increase in climate climate change and the global temperature. So the work around circular economy, I would say, is is the kind of design facet of that conversation. Yeah. And the fact that we are over-utilising our resources, we're we're extracting too much out of the earth, we're making too much stuff, we're consuming too much stuff,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: we're living too big for the planet and it all fits together in how we then, you know for want of a better word, we sell a better life, what is a good life you know, what does that mean? It doesn't mean going back to living in a cave with the candles, it means actually really preserving nature preserving the environment and and working to a one planet living.
0: So preserving a quality of life that doesn't actually require growth in material yes, consumption. exactly. And, and what is it that makes it circular in what you're doing? This,
1: well, the circular aspect is that we currently have a system which is known as a linear. We take stuff out we extract our raw materials, we process it, we make it into raw material for production, we create products, we sell products, we use products, we throw them away. So it's linear. So it's very linear. Yeah. The circular, the circular system actually comes and joins the two ends of that together. So instead of throwing away, we we reuse, we refuse a lot now. That's another thing that's come in. Uh, we look at recovery of materials. We look at recycling systems. Mm-hmm. And the final solution is is not the one you want to do. Is the mm. one where you put it into landfill. You burn it, particularly on. Right. That's contentious. But yeah, <laughs> anyway, yeah. the idea is that actually what you do is you keep that value that. Raw material value in the system for as long as possible. So you reuse, reuse, reuse your materials, and actually the product then becomes the secondary focus. Your focus is very much about the materials going in to this yeah. into the loops. The the products then become the kind of blip.
0: Right.
1: In the life of the product. So they the life were just the a materials. feature
0: in the life of the material. Yeah. Once upon a time, I was a. Yes,
1: exactly. I'm, you know, I was a bridge, and now I'm a, something else, and then I'm going to be this, and then yeah. I'm going to be that. So actually. The, because that's the sort of law of physics.
0: So from design point of view, I'd, I'd, I'll ask you in a moment, I think, about, if I may, about actually strategies for doing that. Mm. But before we get there, could you share any examples of uh, things that either are circular or close, close or approaching circular design?
1: Well, I mean, things probably like an aluminium drinks can yeah. is, because aluminium is like 97-plus percent, recyclable right. back into aluminium, Right. so you, with very little, although you've got a massive amount of energy going in to extract and get that aluminium in the first place, mm-hmm. once it's aluminium yeah. away yeah. from bauxite, you have a material which actually is quite easy and low energy to get it back into aluminium again, so you yeah. can keep it going in that product for a long time. It doesn't degrade too much of the process. So. Right. Um, so there's a product, even though actually you have a plastic lining in the inside, but right. but you know, these things, they're, they're more, m- stuff is much more complicated than we know, and I think that's one thing we should also talk about a bit later. Um, so that's a really good product. Another really good product is probably something like, um, I mean, the, the thing about circularity is you can go from a product all the way to a system.
2: Right. So a
1: system could be something like uh, a sharing, a shareable system. Mm-hmm. Um, a reusable system like a milk bottle is mm-hmm. a very good example. A glass one, you know. Actually, there you've got a glass bottle, which for milk that you give back to the milkman, who wash it. They wash it. Yeah. They bring it back, and you have to use it a certain amount of times, so and it does yeah. get used a certain amount of times. And that's
0: it? not complicated, is it? I mean, it, it's, it's not
1: complicated.
0: A f- maybe feels like a slightly older way of doing things. Is yes, that- a
1: lot of circular economy. I mean, examples are actually quite are sort of old models, and I think yeah. what we have got caught up in is the kind of the cheapness and the disposability of materials around stuff, and yep. because a lot of focus of design has been very much around lightweighting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: so the idea, so when carbon and sustainability first came into product design, got the train of plates going past again, <laughs> um, the idea was that actually we should, the, the real focus when you do a kind of life cycle analysis, the issue was about transportation and yeah. logistics and the carbon that was, was being used to, to transport stuff from A to B to C to D to logis- the whole logistics of moving things about. And so with a glass bottle, you've got the weight. Yeah. So plastic allows, as an alternative, allowed right. that to be much lighter and therefore you could pack more in and right. therefore you got you know, less carbon on the road, etc. Mm. So that's when you're working with really big supply chains that, yeah. that glow because we have a very global system of products. Yeah. getting you know, if I buy, and in fact, that this is one of the things we found out when we were doing work with the Great Recovery, which was um, we can we'll go into a bit later, but actually, we, we when we were looking at sort of source mapping products, we realized that you know, a 200 pound laptop, for instance, was. If you went from like the coal tan being dug out the ground in the Congo all the way to it being packaged and ready to buy in the warehouse,
2: yeah.
1: it went around the world about four times. Wow! Because of the way that we make our stuff, yeah, it's yeah, just the assembly lines are actually at global proportions, mm. Mm. and therefore logistics becomes incredibly important. But with mm. a milk bottle, yeah, your supplies are very local. Yeah, so actually, it's not as important.
0: It's so is it that that, that sort of? even though you're not having to transport the milk full times around the world that's the zeitgeist it's this lightweight logistics type thing which dominates the scene and so things are designed for that but it might not be appropriate
1: yes it's not it's the appropriateness and i think actually that's one thing that design really needs to go back to
0: Mm.
1: matching the life the use of that product Mm. to the material lifespan so a really good example of that Done very badly is a disposable toothbrush. I mean, everybody has one. You have. Uh, you're told that you should change your toothbrush every three months um, by the dentist. And actually, some of the research we did it um, says that you should do because the build up of bacteria is quite extraordinary over those three months. Um, and so you're using a product which is very cheap, is manufactured in a way where you. Have multiple materials coming together. Mm. So there's about three or four different types of plastic really? used in a paint, in a paint, in a toothbrush. Yes, um, and some of them often have metal pins holding the nylon right. um, toothbrush heads. You know the the filaments, the, mm-hmm. the bristles, and um, so you've got this toothbrush. After th- four months of use, you think, what can I do with it? You can't mm. put it in a recycling bin because of the different types of plastic that have been molded together in the manufacturing process don't recycle together. So even if you did put it in your recycling bin, it would probably end up getting rejected anyway. Um, and the materials that they use have got like 400 years of life.
0: So, so you've so got three months three de- month dentist of? <laughs> uh, use brief. Yeah. Four, how many? 400, 400 years, years in, the right.
1: pl- in the plastic. So that's a really good example of not matching up materials and you get that with everything mm-hmm. you know coffee cups that mm-hmm. you drink you know you've got like 20 minutes if that yeah from the from the barista to you know empty cup and from that you've got a coffee cup which has got a polythene lining again
2: yeah
1: you even in the paper itself it's such good quality that you know they say that it could potentially last for 20 years in a landfill site because the, it's got such strong cellulose in it but
0: Actually, the, I, I just uh, uh, cut in there a, a few years ago when I was living in the States, well, that's ten years ago, I had this project to keep all my waste that I had developed, used in a week. Mm-hmm. Or a month, that's when I can't the it. I carry it around in a bag with me.
2: <laughs> everywhere? People, yeah, everywhere.
0: People thought I was bad. But I remember going back into coffee shops with their paper cups and bringing them back and asking to refill them. And they get increasingly raggedy around Rally the edges. Like, after about three weeks, <laughs> this coffee cup.
1: Oh, it. lovely. Yeah. But you know, I mean, people do that now. I mean, actually, there's so many people who are just holding on to their waste and seeing mm. what. You know, what would be interesting to see is like whether your waste has increased now. Mm. Or whether their waste is mm. more than the waste that you had 20, 20 years ago. Because you might actually find that the waste has gone up.
0: That there's more there's waste. There's more
1: waste now mm. because we have so much mm. wrapping and disposable plastic. And
0: well, I, I, I did a project then a couple of years ago. I think it was a New Year's resolution, which was to weigh my waste for mm. a year. Mm-hmm. So I weighed the bins that came and even we did building works and I said to the builder don't take away the waste I'm going to dispose of it but I'm going to weigh it but I wanted to weigh what was going to landfill mm-hmm. and we managed to reduce to a very small amount i put it on my book somewhere actually what we produced but in the end I realised my next news resolution should be to recycle less in the yes. sense that I was producing loads for recycling loads yeah mountains for it's recycling. really
1: I mean I think that's the issue that actually we have taken um we've gone from a position of landfill mm. to incineration, so energy from waste, mm. to a position which is like recycling, which mm. often ends up because of the contamination levels going into incineration. Mm. But we've kind of transferred all of our waste into the recycling bin. Yeah.
0: But and no, but not, and not made a decision instead not to re- yes, reduce not
1: to reduce we just sort of and that makes us feel good and we kind of think well we've done our bit
0: yeah
1: and actually what's happening is with that is it's either ending up in the wrong place mm. i mean i think the re- the actual material that gets back to being recycled back to a similar product so yeah. a piece of packaging is like 4% or something ridiculous it's tiny 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 so you know we are really struggling plus we have all of that new plastic coming on the market so we've you know it's a really interesting um material to start looking at mm. because you really you do realize that uh we just uh, use it for everything it's just one of those ubiquitous materials it's in our clothing it's in our housing it's in our you know, tea bags tea bags in fact actually we i took apart my um we were going through the composting bin that we've had, you know, our wormery mm-hmm. in the garden and some of the stuff in there. We were just like, well, those tea, you can see all the tea bags are still there. You know, they wow. haven't even started. You know, they're all plastic. Mm. You, and the, you, we sort of sold this vision that they're actually paper and they're not.
0: So that's the kind of getting into the nature of the problem. Yeah. What about, uh, so maybe we could talk a bit about great recovery and teardowns and all yeah. that exciting stuff.
1: And also, I mean, the one thing that's really interesting is how it links back to the two designers and design. Because one of the big mantras that we started with and I still carry with me is that waste is really a design flaw. And actually, a teabag's a really good example of that because, you know, you think... And it's not just the teabag, it's the, the, the the appearance and the kind of the, re- the, the way that we think that we are doing a good thing and what we have discovered through some of the ethnography work that we did later on is that citizens have this kind of material illiteracy, they just don't know what material is anymore and that is the fault of the designers the desi- and the engineers. We're, we're getting so good at creating plastic that feels like paper mm. or paper that feels like plastic or... Yeah metal that's flexible, all these different things. People are like going, I don't know what this is. Yeah. And often it's like a, it's a composite anyway, or a laminate or something. And you're like, I mean, well, which like crisp, bin does that go into? Like a
0: crisp packet. What's a yeah. crisp packet?
1: Well, a crisp packet is like plastic and aluminium. Right. And should be in, and will go into the, you know, into the energy from waste, incineration, straight landfill, stroke, nothing to do with the recycling bin mm. currently. Mm. So the great recovery really came from this, um, Experience that I had when I started to follow products to the end of a life, and actually starting going right to the end of the pipe and mm. seeing what happens to our stuff. Yeah. And I went on a uh, a mission with um, uh, what was then UKTI, which is now Innovate UK, mm-hmm. and they were taking a group of people to the Netherlands to to look at. Um, the designing out, concept of designing out landfill, where you've got a country like the Netherlands who have banned landfill since right. uh, early, um, I think it was uh, sort of mid-90s. So they just said, we don't have any space, nothing's gonna to go to landfill. And they built a lot of energy from waste, uh, incinerators, but they also really upped the ante on recovery, reuse and hmm. recycling. And we went to a lot of different places and had a look at some of their techniques um, and one of them was uh, this really state-of-the-art fridge recovery facility, mm-hmm. where half the build, half the factory, or the kind of unmanufacturing place, was this really, really highly technical machinery, which could take something. You put, you put basically, you put a fridge in one end, and it separated out all the materials. So you had copper, you had all the metal going there, you had the plastics going there, you had the foam going there, took out all the gas, recovered that. So it was a really amazing machine. The other half was a group of workers who would put the fridges that came in these big sea containers, um, and they'd take out all the stuff on the inside, they'd drain them of fluids, and they'd also take out the um, compressor at the back because this was something that was actually had value, but also they didn't want it to be crushed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you'd watch these guys and they'd have these kind of flashing targets of how many fridges they had to get through every day. And literally every fridge that came in front of them was different. And they had to think about how to get the back off, how they could get these, these parts of the machines out in order for them to go on. And they would stand there for a good minute sometimes, just trying to work out what screwdrivers they needed, how many. You know, because every, everyone was different, they couldn't get to a rhythm. Right, right. And I was thinking, this is just bonkers because we spent all the time designing the front of a fridge but not the back. And so I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could line up all the fridge designers behind this guy and say, look how hard we're making his life? Mm. Because we iterate mm. on a lot of designs, we don't actually redesign the whole thing for ease of taking apart. We just add things in. So, you know, washing machines, when we were doing this idea of tear down, so that's where it really came from the fact that we actually have to how difficult is it to take things apart whether it's a shoe whether it's a washing machine whether it's a fridge whether it's uh, a, te- a sofa you know yeah. how hard is it give people the tools to do it get yeah. them to test it get yeah. them to work out what's in their stuff mm. Mm. Um, it's a bit like doing a life cycle analysis but mm. real so you you know weigh it yeah. you know how much plastic is in a shoe
0: yeah.
1: compared yeah. to you know unusual item, what would you expect to find?
0: And can you separate it? Can, can you kick?
1: separate it, yeah. yeah. So So that's you know, a teardown. That's a teardown. And it's quite, you know, it's a it's a really established tool in when you're working with product design. Mm. You know, you think, okay, you start with the product as it is, mm. you take it apart, you look at it. I mean, that's kind of like engineers were sort of born doing that, really, right. like taking apart radios, putting them back yeah. together again, yep. you know, yep. that kind of thing. Um, and so using that, but using it in a perspective of, like, Actually, you do it in a group. Mm. You talk about the issues. You talk about all the materials. We we also developed this a set of uh, periodic table cards, which mm. were had ninety four of the most used elements from the table, and you had to and each card had um, the supply risk on the bottom.
0: Right. So something's going to run out.
1: Yeah. So or is inaccessible. Yeah. I mean, It's not necessarily going to run out, but like is right. impossible. It's going to get very very expensive and mm. accessible where really needed. Yeah. So you could find out all of those things. And it was part of this kind of kinesthetic learning as well. So you're sitting there and you're just actually just doing stuff with your hands and talking about the issues. And then...
0: I've heard you talk about this before. I've never heard you mention the talking about it. And that actually sounds quite interesting.
1: Yeah. So it's really important to do it in a group Mm. because you have to go through the frustration Mm. and the kind of exclamation of stupidity of how we've done stuff together and actually it's not just about your fellow designers mm. the point of all of this and the the idea of the great recovery was about investigating the role of design in the circle within the circular economy
2: mm.
1: and what we've very quickly found out is that it's, designers is part of a big wedge of a huge circle of people that you need to have in your design team and your design team goes from material scientists all the way through the supply chain all the way through the influencers, so policy makers, mm. anthropologists, ethnography people, up to those people who are in resource management. So, you know, if you're going to be designing something for circularity, you need to have somebody from the, the waste management or resource management side to tell us what you can recover yeah. now, tomorrow, and in the future, and how do you recover it to get the most out of it. and. You know, if you're designing something that, I'm gonna design the most amazing keyboard that can be disassembled in five minutes, but actually the system of how we recover those product, those items are actually crushed and then put into a yep. smelter, then there's no point doing it.
0: So, um, what is the largest thing that you have torn down?
1: Um, so, an oil rig. Is probably the largest. Yes, we did. We went from (laughs) uh, we went all the Well, actually, no, we've done bigger than that. We've we went from uh, lipstick, right, and actually that's not the name
0: for another rig. No, 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 and (laughs) sort of
1: tiny headphones pieces all the way through. So we did uh, sofas, clothing, bras are really interesting. I was talking about that. Um, All lots of electronics, packaging. And then we went into bigger items, so we did bulky waste, lots yep. of stuff around that. Then we did a bit about housing structures. Then we did an oil rig. Then we did an island. So we've done, but that's more of a system design rather than a tear down on an island.
0: So I'd, I'd like to hear more about the building and the oil rig. So what, what, what did you find in the house?
1: So the house, the, I, the issues really around the way that we design housing is yeah. about how things are fitted together. And right. how we disassemble. So you know, when you talk to a demolishing, a demolishers, they have um, the companies have like a very very small window opportunity to go onto a site, mm-hmm. take everything down,
2: mm-hmm.
1: get it off site soon, as quickly as possible. But they also have their waste strategies that they have to work with. So you know, that gets passed from the en- from the engineers to the demolition companies, um, and so they need they need to try and make sure that they can. Categorize all like you know, collect as much value out of the site as possible. But what you find are things like uh, you know, the mortar that holds the bricks together is too strong, so they actually can't separate the bricks. Uh, the plasterboard has been stuck to this, you know, to another material and they can't separate it. So it actually ends up all being crushed and taken off site to landfill and then potentially made into aggregate for road building. So it but kind that's of a long way down the value chain. Yeah, you lose a lot of value. Yeah, particularly in bricks. I mean, bricks actually are the one product that actually increased their value. Yes. If they're in, if they're good old-fashioned London stock, then. Yeah.
0: And and in the oil rig.
1: In the oil rig, um, it was very much focused about uh, sp- moving from one industry sector to another. Mm-hmm. So uh, we knew that there were lots of decommissioned oil rigs coming off the North Sea, and. Just looking at some of the materials that are in there, so being quite specific about mm-hmm. some of the things, so the the matched concrete mattresses, for instance, the steelwork, mm-hmm. um, and knowing that some of the pipes are so highly specced mm-hmm. for uh, use in that industry, into the oil and gas industry, that actually they could never be reused within there because of the kind of health and safety and the kind of uh, you know the importance of. Uh, keeping the levels of insurance exactly assurance
0: of quality
1: yeah exactly yep. but because of their spec we could take them into something like the water industry yes uh, adapt them slightly and actually they'd be really high spec for them so that was a real learning experience about understanding what will come what comes off a, a decommissioning of an mm-hmm. oil rig and mm-hmm. actually where can you push it into another, in another sector where they would re- still really see the value yeah um, but again, there's still a, there's always a le- level of down cycle because you have to adapt it. Now, what's interesting about that is that when you're working with a design team and you've got them there right from the beginning doing the teardown, they can then iterate and say, well, I can actually, if we just change that design slightly in the first place,
2: mm.
1: you can actually design the pipe so that in the second life, it can actually be quickly turned into something which is usable, which is... It's the sort of long-term vision, really.
0: So, and I want to get into sort of strategies for design, yeah. and, uh, and I think you sort of alluded to one, which I'm going to mention in just a sec, um, The and it doesn't, it's not just sort of capital D designers, there's a, there's a whole kind of policy infrastructure, supply chain material scientists, yes. service providers, right, yes. so everyone's got a role to play here. yes.
1: And that's what one of the first things you need to do if you're designing for circularity is you look at what we call the circular network, Mm. which is one of the tools that we had, we developed. And you say, okay, who is in my design team? Who do I need to have in there? Mm. If you're doing a service for new types of uh, laundry liquid,
2: Mm.
1: you know, who do I need to have there? Well, I need to have people who really understand logistics, Mm. refill potentially, Um, you know, that means I need these kinds of people. Then maybe I need to think about how i we you know get people to understand how i market the product etc so it allows you to think really broadly about it in terms of you know big logistics huge bulk movement etc so you just you tune your your design team which goes all the way around the circle not just sitting in your supply chain to the very specifics that you're trying to look at
0: right so it's a much bigger group of people so get a holistic group of people, approach and yeah. um, I've heard you talk about designing for not just first life but
1: third and fourth
0: life third and fourth life so that's huge
1: yes but that's the way. that's the only way you can really design for circularity in my opinion mm. because if you design for second life you you basically what you get to is a re- this is recyclable. Mm.
0: So I uh, I have a daughter and uh, she does a lot of junk modelling. And junk modelling is a great thing to do with, with kids because it's like, hey, I can use this junk and they can be imaginative. And then I'm like, but great, now all we've got is a sculpture made of some rubbish, which we kind of have to keep for quite a long time. <laughs> is that really... is sort of... Sh- small scale recycling
1: yeah exactly but
0: it's quite hard to say to a six-year-old i think you need to design for
1: something. third <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well what you need to do is don't stick that with yeah. really strong glue stick it with like something yeah. blue tack that we yeah. stick apart then we put it in the recycling bin or something like train that train
0: the next generation in, in, in <laughs> but this way.
1: if you so if you if you go from a sort of thinking about the second a second iteration it just takes you to recycle mm. or um It's it's still a short life. If you take it to third and fourth, you've got to go past recycling and you've got to go into maybe reuse and you've got to go into stripping down, disassembly, Mm. you know, all those different things. And then actually it's about then, okay, I need to get that product back, not once, not twice, but three or four times. Then it gets into things like, I'm going to need a system. So actually it's about leasing, it's Mm. about servitization. So you could sort of
0: lease a volume of of steel yeah. or something.
1: Why is it? Why why does a why do we need to buy our house? I mean it goes right back to the fundamentals. Why yeah. did why do I need to own the bricks and mortar?
2: Yeah.
1: I don't. I just want a warm, dry place mm. to grow up mm. to for my kids to grow up in. Mm. Mm. So this idea of ownership is is quite a cultural blocking point for our culture here. Whereas in other places, yeah. you know, it, where you're you have a better attitude towards leasing and kind of renting yeah. and not owning stuff it's much easier to consider yeah those types of models for circularization it's not a, it's not that's kind of a reason why I think it's taken off more in Scandinavian countries because we it's just we're just so attached to our kind of <laughs> for want of a better word our castles here that mm. we just kind of get stuck in it we have to own it I really don't want I really don't understand why we all own our own phones, for instance, because actually the model's already set up for us to send it back and get a new one. They kind of do half of that. Mm. They sell us the new one, but they don't take the old one back,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: which is really crazy because actually we end up with like, I think 85 million old phones in drawers around and cupboards in the UK, all full of gold, indium, neodymium, all this stuff that's actually on the supply risk. Yeah. in our endangered elements, and actually we're just sitting there doing nothing.
0: Actually, Buckminster Fuller wrote something a long time ago um, to say, he was saying we're entering a new geology where because of where the materials were in the ground and now where they're going to be deposited yeah. because of things being... I mean, he was writing 50 years ago or more, mm-hmm. Uh, even then, he's
1: predicting the Anthropocene, wasn't he? Fully. Basically,
0: yeah, yeah. Can you describe the Anthropocene? The
1: Anthropocene is the new, the new era that we're going in, where it's kind of kind of a, when we dig down in the future, it'll be a layer of plastic and elements yeah. and mixed up and commingled and yeah. crazy. And people
0: think, what were they? doing?
1: What the hell were they doing? <laughs> Spreading it. To that
0: effect. <laughs> um, just a couple of the last questions I want to ask you about this, if, 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 if I may. Um, Material passports. Yes. What, what, what's
1: that? Uh, well, a material passport, is, is, it goes back to, this, to the idea that I was talking about of the material being the most important focus mm. and the product just being a sort of blip mm. in the life of that material. But the issue is how do you trace that how do you keep track of mm-hmm. that material and a passport should allow you to do that now at the moment we think of a passport as being a little book mm-hmm. you can imagine that, but if you imagine everything in this room that we're sitting in where you've got okay. every part kind of material around you we really have I mean possible. I'm looking at
0: there's a jar over this says glass furnace slag tire <laughs> chips cement uh, what else have we got yeah no so sorry, sorry carry on
1: lots of stuff but all of this stuff has materials in it, yeah. and what I'm I'm really interested in, fascinated in, is all the hidden materials and stuff as well. So you know, we think something is like, so we go back to the aluminium drinks can. Yeah. We think it's an aluminium drinks can, but actually, it's an aluminium drinks can with different types of aluminium in it, also with a plastic layer on the inside to stop the fizzy fizzy drink reacting to, with the aluminium and oxidising it. Right. So. It's all those hidden materials Mm. that is in everything that would actually, if you had a passport for those materials, that would be, would really explain a lot to us. So actually we could then, if we knew that as designers, we would go, oh, well, that's interesting. So how do I get all those materials back? And what do I do with it? And how can I recycle it? So, or how can I recover it? You know, what's the point of all those materials? You know, actually, why is there plastic in a material because yeah. you get a lot of you know I talk to a lot of designers who go no but it's pure aluminium i I'm right like, no it's not you know it, it doesn't it's not that easy yeah. it's not that simple so a passport would be an interesting way forward it's just a clunky way of us to think about it at the moment but you can imagine in terms of blockchain technology for instance that's the other thing that could be really interesting technology is proving to become be I think actually the kind of the key to a lot of this Mm. issues around really understanding traceability um really transparent ways of where our materials come from what's in our stuff how do we get it back into other stuff
0: or it's a double-edged thing though isn't it in a sense the technological advance has encouraged us to fuse all these things together yeah but also some of those technologies enable us to maybe use them more intelligently yeah
1: so i think what we need to do is to have that Shift, And that's what I think is really interesting about the, you know, the reports like the um, climate change and the biodiversity report, which actually you would really hope is pushing us towards a point where we, are, we all acknowledge a climate crisis, an mm. emergency. Mm. Therefore, what could, do we need to do about it fast? And that is when you think, right, well, OK, we can do that because we now have the technology to do that. So we use it as it should be used mm. Mm. to allow us to be able to design things better.
0: At which point I'm going to change the question. Just for, just for one last one last part, as, as you know, this podcast is a mixture of engineering and creativity, which I think we've been hopefully covering and thinking about how you might be creative around material use. And also practical philosophy. Now, mm. what I mean by that is the people I get on the show, I'd like to know, how does their work actually influence the way they think and see about the world? Maybe they've got life hacks, maybe they've got strategies... What, what what do you think? What, I think,
1: what, yeah. I remember saying once to a load of, you know, designers and students and that actually the first thing they should do is really follow their rubbish. But um, because I'm a trained, well, I'm a chartered uh, waste manager, mm-hmm. so that means that I've done... I'm more like one of the f- one of the only designers who actually got given chartership in waste management, <laughs> which is very unusual.
0: It sounds like many more should.
1: Yes, many more. I like that this is right. And actually, one of the things I was saying is, you know, I did bin training. So, for instance, I spent a day with the the K seven truck team. K seven. K seven is the truck name. It's oh, the right, kind yeah. of track that goes around. Whereas well, the uh, people who do most of Chelsea yep. in Kensington, and I spent. Um, a day with the team and we, we did the streets of Kensington and Chelsea and it was really eye-opening because it's a split truck so half of it's about take the recycling the other half is about the landfill or mm. energy from waste and there was a sort of a way of doing it and you could see the amount of contamination that was happening so half the recycling bags ended up in, in the black bin side so already you've lost you know half of that because the contamination levels were too high like I'm saying two banana skins rather than one wow. so actually having that face-to-face understanding of a problem is so super key. Mm. And so I always say, you know, follow, if you've just put your rubbish out and you see the rubbish come, if you have time to get on a bike and follow the truck yeah. and see where it ends up, it's really, really illuminating. And it's the same with everything, you know, your products. Where does your product that you've spent years, months lovingly designing into production, how quickly does it end up in a, in, in a waste stream and where does it go? And why is it that it may end, if you may think it will end up somewhere, where does it actually end up? Because it might be of one of the design decisions that you've made. Because going back to the stat, 80% of the environmental impact is predetermined at concept design stage. So at that concept stage, you are determining where that product is going to end up. And that's why we say... You know, if you've got the right team around you who can answer the questions about all of these things, if you think about a lifespan that goes past second but third to third or fourth stages, if you're if you really understand the materials that's gone into it and the sort of supply risks, etc., all of that stuff that's gone into and in, goes into your product, you're in a much better place.
0: So the practical philosophy: follow the rubbish.
1: Follow the rubbish. Design is a way, Waste is the design flaw. Yeah. Design it like. You want it to live and live and live. Design for the material life rather than the product life. And don't use too strong a glue.
0: On which note, (laughs) thank you very much, Sophie. It's a pleasure. And that's it for this episode. Music on the podcast is by Nigel Broadbent, graphic design by Alexi Summer, and production by Boutique Recording. You can find this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, but the best place to find my stuff is on my website, ifellover.com. There you'll find more episodes, blog posts, teaching resources, and details of training I'm running and events I'm speaking at. And you can sign up to my mailing list for the latest news from me. Thanks for listening. Until the next time, goodbye.